Good morning. Welcome to The Point, the radio ministry of Life Point Baptist Church of Early Texas. Life Point meets for Sunday school at 10 a.m., morning worship at 11, and we meet at the Early Chamber of Commerce Small Business Incubator Facility, which is located at 104 East Industrial Drive in Early. That's just off of Highway 377, back behind where the new townhomes are being built there on Highway 377. We'll have signs out pointing you into the front door. We'd love to meet with you this morning, pray with you, worship with you, and get to know you. We're a pretty friendly bunch over at Life Point Baptist Church. So coming out and see us, Early Chamber of Commerce Small Business Incubator Facility, Sunday School at 10 a.m., Morning Worship at 11 a.m. We're beginning a new series this morning. We'll begin our series in Ezra chapter 1. Ezra chapter 1, that's back in the Old Testament, just before the Psalms, uh, just before the book of Nehemiah, Ezra chapter 1. And the book of Ezra records the return of the Israelites to the Holy Land after the 70-year Babylonian captivity, and it covers the reconstruction of the temple. And so in this series in the book of Ezra, we are going to study the subject of We Build. We Build. This is God moving in our lives to build our faith and to build our outreach and our evangelism to those around us. We Build here in Ezra chapter 1. So in Ezra chapter 1, verse 1, the Bible says, Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, And he hath charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is there among you of all his people? His God be with him. And let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is the God, which is in Jerusalem. And whosoever remaineth in any place where he sojourneth, let the men of his place help him with silver and with gold and with goods and with beasts, beside the free will offering for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. Then rose up the chief of the fathers of Judah and Benjamin, and the priest, and the Levites, with all them whose spirit God had raised, to go up to build the house of the Lord which is in Jerusalem. And all they that were about them strengthened their hands with vessels of silver, with gold, with goods, and with beasts, and with precious things, beside all that was willingly offered. Also Cyrus the king brought forth the vessels of the house of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had brought forth out of Jerusalem, and had put them in the house of his gods. Even those did Cyrus, king of Persia, bring forth by the hand of Mithridath the treasurer, and numbered them unto Sheshbazzar the prince of Judah. And this is the number of them, thirty chargers of gold, a thousand chargers of silver, nine and twenty knives, thirty basins of gold, silver basins of a second sort, four hundred and ten, and other vessels a thousand. All the vessels of gold and of silver were five thousand and four hundred. All these did Shazbazar bring up with them of the captivity that were brought up from Babylon unto Jerusalem. Now the book of Ezra records the return of the first two groups of exiles of Israelites back to the city of Jerusalem. Now, the Israelites were taken captive by the Babylonian Empire some 70 years prior as a consequence for the generations that they had committed in idolatry. 
And God promised them that had they, he warned them to turn from idolatry or he would allow them to be taken into the captivity. And over centuries, over generations, Israel refused to repent of the idolatry. Now, this idolatry is not merely the lighting of incense or candles or having the figurines or the gold statues. There were some pretty immoral things that went along with this idolatrous worship, including sexual immorality and child sacrifice. So these were things that, as disgusting as they sound to us, were absolutely grievous to God. And God told Israel over several hundred years to repent of their sins of idolatry of the sexual immorality, of the child sacrifice, and every other evil that had been that had been permeating in the nation of Israel over that time, and they didn't repent. And so God told them that he was going to send them into the captivity, and he did. And they were taken into, cap- into captivity in the empire of Babylon. Many were taken back to the city of Babylon. Many were relocated to other provinces. And so they were exiled from their homeland for more than 70 years. But even through this entire process, God promised them that even though he was sending them into the captivity, he would be with them and would bring them home again. God used the captivity to transform Israel from a nation of idolaters to a nation ready to bring forth his son. He transformed them through this process. And there's a lot of things you can say about the nation of Israel in the New Testament. There's a lot of things you can say about modern day Israel. One thing you can't say about them is that they're idolaters because they do not commit idolatry anymore. That's one thing that God transformed them out of through the Babylonian captivity. And that's how God works. And that's how God works in our lives. He uses adversity to correct and transform us. He allows the consequence of our sin to transform us and to correct us. And not only does he allow these adversities and these consequences of our actions to correct us and to transform us, but he goes through the transformation process with us. He is with us even as we are going through that time of captivity or that time of exile. He is with us even when we are suffering the effects of our sin. He uses that to transform us, and then he redeems us, and he restores us, just like he did the nation of Israel here in the Old Testament. Now, in the book of Ezra, God is working his plan. And his plan, as prophesied by Jeremiah and Ezekiel, was to rebuild the nation, to rebuild the city of Jerusalem, and to rebuild the temple. God worked through the people of Ezra's day to accomplish his plan. He worked through Ezra and his people to accomplish his plan of rebuilding the temple and then ultimately through Nehemiah to rebuild the city wall of Jerusalem and to rebuild Jerusalem itself. And what we learn from that is that God either works through you or he works around you. The more blessed place to be is when God is working through you. And so that brings us to Ezra chapter 1. As we've got that background, we look here in Ezra chapter 1, and we see that Cyrus issues a proclamation to rebuild the temple. Now, this proclamation to rebuild the temple starts the clock on the 70 weeks prophesied by the prophet Daniel that would lead to the Lord's final victory. 70 weeks, and we understand this as being 70 weeks of years, some 490 years that God would use to transition Israel from where they were in the uh, captivity process to restore the city to welcome Messiah. We see this in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city 
to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Daniel prophesied by the word of God, 70 weeks, 490 years, these are weeks of years, to do these things, to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins, to put an end of sins, not only of the Israelites, but also of the sins of the world, and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and the prophecy that means to bring everything that God has been promising all these years to full circle, and then to anoint the most holy, that is to crown Christ king. Seventy weeks of years, 490 years. And when would this time period start? Daniel chapter 9, verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto Messiah the prince shall be seven weeks. Here in the book of Daniel, you have the prophecy that a future king or that the king would give the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem. Even in Daniel chapter 9, the prophecy was coming down that this proclamation was going to be made. And this proclamation was made in Ezra chapter 1. So we see God's plan here at work. God is using the people of this time in the book of Ezra to come back and to rebuild the temple and to begin to rebuild the city so that it will be ready to receive the Messiah, ready to receive the Christ, to anoint the most holy. And through this process, God would put an end to sin. God would put an end to transgressions. He would bring about the everlasting righteousness, the everlasting peace. That is what God was working on. And he was using the people of Ezra's day to accomplish that. And what we learn from that is that God's plan is bigger than what's happening with the people returning to Jerusalem. He was using their situation in his overall plan to redeem mankind. God's plan is always bigger than our situation. God's plan is always bigger than what we see. God will use your situation not only to transform you into the person that he intended on you being, but also to reach others around you and you will be playing a role in his overall redemptive plan. What a blessing that is that God chooses to work through our lives and through our situations in order to make life better in general, in order to redeem people, in order to redeem the world, in order to set things right. He works through us in order to make this happen. Isn't that something that's exciting? I mean, typically, you know, they teach us in seminary that when we preach, we need to remember that the people that we preach to have personal problems and we need to speak into that and not just get caught up in the high theology. And indeed, I want to speak to your needs this morning and to the things that are on your heart. But the thing is, if you are suffering the loss of a loved one, if you've had a break in your family, maybe there's been a divorce, maybe you're struggling with uh, your marriage, maybe you're struggling financially. I mean, there's a lot of things I can say about that, and there's a lot of things I can't say about that. What I do know is I can't just say some magic words here that'll make all of your pain go away. What I can do is encourage you with the scriptures that whatever you are going through right now is not a lost cause. It's not in vain that there is a light at the end of the tunnel, that God's working through the strain that you're going through right now to bring you into a better place. And that everything that you are going through right now is for a purpose and you will be rewarded 
through that and for that. So in Ezra chapter 1, we see God beginning to bring that process to pass for the Israelites. In Ezra chapter 1, Cyrus, king of Persia, the empire that conquered Babylon, where the Israelites were in exile, waiting the day that they could return home, Cyrus issues a proclamation that they should return to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. In this, we see three things. The first thing we see is the blessing and the call of Cyrus. That guy was in a blessed place, and he knew it, and he knew why he was there, and we'll talk about that. Secondly, we see God raise men up. And thirdly, we see the funding of the project. So first, let's talk about the blessing and the call of Cyrus. All right, so Cyrus says in verse 2, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he hath charged me to build him an house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. That's Ezra 1-2. Cyrus. Now let's look at who Cyrus is. He is a pagan king of a pagan empire, acknowledging God as the Lord God of heaven. Later he says he is the God. The Lord God of heaven. Cyrus, a pagan king, acknowledges who God is. And this tells us a few things. First, it tells us that God will call anybody. And it tells us that God will use anybody. If God can call and use a pagan king to accomplish his will, he can call any one of us, which tells us that nobody is out of God's reach. You may have a loved one that you wish would come to know the Lord is their savior, that you wish that would repent, that you wish would turn their life around. I mean, there's, no, there's, you know, maybe somebody in your family, somebody close to you, maybe one of your kids or maybe one of your parents is going down the wrong road and you're trying everything you can to correct them, to teach them to repent, to turn from that so that they don't destroy themselves and you're thinking, man, I I just can't seem to get through to them. Well, maybe you can't. Maybe you haven't been able to find those right words, but let me tell you something God can get through to them. If God can reach a pagan king in the Old Testament and move him to issue a proclamation to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem, God can get through to anybody. And so if you've got that person in your life, that son, that daughter, that mom, that father, that cousin, that is making all the wrong choices, and you just don't know what else you can do to get them to see the light, just pray that God gets through to them, that he reaches them. Nobody is out of God's reach. And so we see Cyrus, this pagan king that God has reached, and we see how God has blessed Cyrus. God had given him all of the kingdoms of the world. And so Cyrus here is the most powerful man in the world, and he was also the richest man in the world, because being the most powerful man in the world, being the king of the empire that ruled the world at the time, just about meant that everything that was in the world belonged to you. So he's the most powerful man, and he is the most rich. He is the richest man, the most wealthy. And so God had insanely blessed Cyrus. The Bible also tells us that not only did God bless Cyrus, but God stirred the spirit of Cyrus. Verse 1 here in Ezra chapter 1 says, Now in the first year of Cyrus king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus. Notice that. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing. God stirred up the spirit of Cyrus. God made himself known to Cyrus, and then he called Cyrus. He moved in Cyrus's life. 
And when God moves in your life and he calls you to do something special, that's a blessing. It's been a blessing to me. When I first became a Christian, when I turned from my sins and I trusted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, this was back in November of 2002, um, a preacher came to me. He said that my life would never be the same, and I thought that that was just plain silly because I figured I'd wake up the next day, go back to work, and I would continue to earn a paycheck. I'd continue to serve my family. I'd continue to work there in East Texas. But that preacher turned out to be right because a couple of years later, God called me to start the ministry. To, to He called me into ministry, called me into pastoral ministry. And then a few years after that, he called me to come to Brown County, Texas to minister here. And had it not been for God moving in my life, I'd still be stuck in East Texas somewhere. I'm incredibly blessed that God brought me here to be able to fellowship with you guys. I counted a blessing every single Sunday morning that I get to come in here and do this show. And so God like he stirred Cyrus' spirit and blessed him, he stirred mine and blessed me as well. Uh, Like Cyrus, God has blessed us. Each and every one of us can uh, claim a blessing from God. God has blessed each and every one of us. And first of all, he blessed us financially. Now, if you're looking at a zero balance in your bank account, you may not feel like that. If you got some bills that are past due, you may not feel like you've been blessed financially. But if you compare your lot to the lot of people living in third world countries today, uh, to those who don't have running water, to those who don't have adequate housing, to those who are trying to live in makeshift shelters on the outskirts of city where their rulers uh, live in absolute excess. I mean, you look around the world at some of the places where people are suffering uh, persecution and they are being oppressed by their governments. I mean, let's not deceive ourselves here. I know there's been some recent controversy concerning the president's uh, word selection when it comes to describing some third world countries. But let's not uh, deceive ourselves here. There are people around the world who are suffering in abject poverty. They don't have access to clean water. They don't have access to running water. They don't have access to uh, sanitation services. They don't have access to medical services. They uh, don't have access to adequate shelter. And there's no real hope that they have that those situations are going to improve because no help is on the way. Their government's not going to help them. Their business community is not going to help them. Foreign interests are not going to help them. They're just stuck there. Listen, I read a story that said that if you got $40 in your pocket, then you are richer than 40% of the world's population. I mean, there is something to be said for that. So even if you've got a zero balance in that bank account this morning, even if the bill collectors are knocking at the door, the fact is that here in America, we live at a higher standard of life than a significant chunk of the rest of the world. I don't know the exact percentages, but the percentage is high. We are in the top 30th percentile. I mean, the top third of the, I would venture to say we're in the top third of no matter your tax bracket. If you are in America, you're guaranteed to be in the top third of the standard of living in the entire world. God has blessed us financially. He's also blessed us socially. We we have friends. We have access to friends. He's blessed us spiritually. He has made salvation freely available to us through repentance and faith. You just turn from your sins and you reject the sin in your life and you turn to the Lord and you trust him to save you because he paid for that sin on the cross, salvation is yours. The Bible says you have everlasting life. You have eternal life at that moment. And he's given us sanctification. He has set us aside. He works through our lives to do great things, even if we don't get to see them. God has blessed us like he blessed Cyrus. And then we see the call of Cyrus. God blessed Cyrus And he blessed him for a reason. He blessed Cyrus so that Cyrus would build the temple. 
We look back in verse 2 here in Ezra chapter 1. The Bible says, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he hath charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. God didn't bless Cyrus and say, Enjoy! No, God blessed Cyrus and then called him to use that blessing to build the temple. And Cyrus obeyed, and he ordered the building of the temple. God calls us to use our blessings for him. He hasn't called us to live in the freest and most prosperous nation in history simply so that we could live it up and enjoy life. He expects us to use our blessings to advance his kingdom. And sometimes he calls us to do specific things. Other times we are called to just live up to the uh, standard of advancing his kingdom. We're just called to advance his kingdom through our lifestyles. God has called us to use our blessings for him. And what does that mean for you? I don't know what it means for you because I don't know what your situation is in life. But God has blessed you. I mean, go back to the financial blessings. You know, we live here in Texas, unemployment rates right at 4%. We are on the verge of full employment here. Um, If you don't like your job, chances are if you're willing to move or relocate or make a few sacrifices, you can find a better one. If you suddenly were laid off today, chances are you'd be able to find a job in short order. You know, if you don't have income, if you decide you want income, it's completely uh, within the realm of expectation to be able to generate some in very short order. We are blessed. God wants us to use those blessings to advance his kingdom. And what does it mean to advance his kingdom? To advance his kingdom in advancing the influence of his kingdom. That means sharing his teachings and his word throughout the world, throughout your world, throughout your sphere of influence. That means leading others to Christ. That means sharing the gospel. That means turning people's attention to the Lord. I think about Rich Mullins. Rich Mullins was a very successful contemporary Christian singer back in the 1980s and 1990s. I got his start writing songs, and Amy Grant picked up a couple of them. That uh, put him into the Nashville spotlight in terms of contemporary Christian music. And then he wound up having his own recording career, which was very successful. Um, He recorded Sometimes by Step. Uh, He recorded a couple of other songs um, I'm trying to think of right now. Our God is an Awesome God. I think was one of his, but um, he, he just an incredible songwriter and singer. And he uh, said that his mission in life was not to be a star on the stage. His life was not to be the most successful songwriter in the world, that his life's purpose was to point people to the Savior. And God worked through his music in order to do that. And that, that was his purpose. He used the blessings that God had given him, a songwriting career, and a recording career, a very successful career, he used those blessings to point people to God. And in doing so, not only did he build an entire musical format, I mean, before there was, uh, before you see some of the Christian artists that are up today, they built their success on the platform that was built by Rich Mullen's success. Rich wasn't there to build all that for himself. He was there to build a platform to give to God that God would be able to reach people through the music. He used the blessings God gave him and the career that God gave him in order to point people to the Savior. And that's what God wants us to do in our lives, to use what God has given to us to point people to the Savior. Now, if we're going to see this happen on a wide scale and we're going to see a revival in our country, God needs to raise people up. And we see this happen in Ezra chapter 1. We see in verse 3, Cyrus says, Who is there among you of all his people? 
his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is the God, which is in Jerusalem. Cyrus gets things started here with a challenge. He called on the Israelites to rebuild the temple, and he encouraged them by telling them that God was with them. So in essence, what happens here is you have this pagan king who launches an evangelical crusade. Listen, if we're going to see God raise men up to advance his kingdom, we're going to have to publish the gospel call. We are going to have to challenge people to come to a saving knowledge of the Lord and also to follow their faith in the Lord and to put that faith into action. Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 14 say, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Listen, we cannot expect God to raise up a generation of men to advance his kingdom if we ourselves are not willing to tell that generation the gospel of Christ. So we must preach so Christ can reach and God can raise them up. We have to be willing to spread the word. In verse five, then rose up the chief of the fathers of Judah and Benjamin and the priest and the Levites with all them whose spirit God had raised to go up to build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. Men rose up, they came forward and they committed themselves to the construction of God's house. And now this was a huge commitment. They would be going into hostile territory to face persecution, yet they committed themselves to this cause and they put their names to it. These men rose up because like he had stirred the spirit of Cyrus, God had raised their spirit up. He called them, he stirred their spirit, and they were propelled by the spirit of God to build his house. We need God to raise people up today. We need God to raise our spirits up, to stir our souls, to, pro- to propel us, to serve him in mighty ways. And we need to pray that God raises more men up, that he raises us up and he raises others up. In essence, we need to pray for revival. We need God to raise up our spirits, to stir our souls, to call us to serve and to call others to serve. We need God to revive us. We need more people to say what Isaiah did when he found himself in the presence of the Lord. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8, he says, Here am I, send me. And then finally, we see God raise the funds for the project. We look in verses 7 through 11 here in Ezra chapter 1. Cyrus the king brought forth the vessels of the house of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had brought forth out of Jerusalem, and had put them in the house of his gods. And in the interest of time, I'm going to skip down to verse 11. All the vessels of gold and of silver were 5,400. All these did Shezbazar bring up with them of the captivity that were brought up from Babylon unto Jerusalem. Cyrus, moved by the Spirit of God, commanded that the vessels taken from the temple be returned to the temple. While many would see this as a sizable contribution to the work, in reality, Cyrus was merely giving back what already belonged to God. Cyrus's predecessors saw these vessels as their property. Cyrus wisely saw it as God's property, so he returned it to the temple. We often see our finances as our own. In reality, they're God's. Therefore, we should manage our resources as if they were God's resources, and we should uh, we should apply our resources to what God would want his resources applied to. That doesn't mean you can't enjoy anything. That doesn't mean you can't take a weekend trip or a vacation or take the kids to Six Flags. I'm not saying any of that. But when it comes to your finances, what is the priority there? See, God wants you to enjoy 
He wants you to have good times. He wants you to be able to enjoy the fruit of your labor. There's a lot that the scripture say, uh, the scripture says, and what scriptures say about enjoying the fruit of your labor. There's a lot to that. God wants you to be taken care of just as a good boss would want his employees to be taken care of. But at the end of the day, we need to remember that what we are using is actually God's and not our own. And so our financial priorities need to be set accordingly. And then in verse 6, Ezra chapter 1, verse 6, And all they that were about them strengthened their hands with vessels of silver, with gold, with goods, and with beast, and with precious things, beside all that was willingly offered. Just as God stirred the heart of Cyrus, who had returned the vessels of the temple, God stirred those around the men he raised up, and they contributed to the rebuilding effort. When God stirs your soul, it will affect your giving. Let's pray that God stirs our spirits, raises us up, and provides for us so that we can see great things happen this year. I'd like to thank you for joining us. You've been listening to The Point. This is the radio ministry of Life Point Baptist Church. You can find out more about us and get daily devotional thoughts by logging on to point2life.wordpress.com and by following us on Facebook at facebook.com slash point2life. Life Point meets for Sunday services at 11 o'clock, Sunday school at 10 o'clock. We meet at the Early Chamber of Commerce Building, 104 East Industrial Drive, just off of Highway 377. That is right behind where they're building the new townhomes. We hope to be able to see you this morning. Until then, may God bless you, may God keep you, and may you have a wonderful day in the Lord. And God bless you.